Welcome back to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jess. This is Mikey. And thank you for coming back. Hey, last week's episode sounded like shit, so sorry, sorry. about that. Um, but also, I, thank you to people who let us know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was aware. That we was, were aware. That was after I fixed it. Yeah. <laughs> so... We but were. we didn't want to. We also recorded that one like the night before we wanted to release it, so mm-hmm. we didn't really have the time to re-record it. Yeah. So I mean, but I think be, we're all better now. Yeah, I think people have been really upset if they got their Cooper Duper mm-hmm. daylight. Okay, so here we go. Uh, we are in to episode six. six. Uh, it's also called Cooper's Dream. Z. Z- Cooper's Dreams, correct. You're correct, Michael. Um, it's a six-episode. Uh, it was directed by... Leslie Linka Gladder. Um, I think I always thought her name was Linklater. There's a Richard Linklater. He's a oh, director. Not, Linka not... Gladder is somebody very different. Say her name quickly. Leslie uh-huh. Linka Gladder. That's the opposite of quickly. That was as slow as you knew how to say it. Just say her name regular. Oh, Leslie Linkagladder. That sounds like Linklater, right? Like, I'm not the I idiot mean, here? Yeah, I guess. Enough so. But okay. she is not of any relation. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe she's, like, a lot um, lost. But she is a, a great... She works primarily in TV, but she's a great director. She's one of those people that, like, once I started taking note of, like, her name, she's directed all of your favorite shows. Like, Was she the one who did a bunch of Real O'Neill's? Which one? Real O'Neill's. No, that's that? Todd Holland. Who's Todd Holland? He's another director. He also directed some Twin Peaks. Oh. Um, but she did. She's done a lot of Homeland. She did a bunch of Mad Men and ER and basically like every major show. She's directed at least an episode of. She's a, a phenomenal work. Like. And she's a chameleon. She really, really adapts really well to like the vision of whatever show she's working on. She's I, a name most people don't know, but she's really one of the best TV directors working. Hmm. Cool. All right, so we're going to kick off, as usual, with the Log Lady monologue. Um, as a reminder, if you're just tuning in for some reason, these are only on the discs and were Lynch's addition to sort of what add his own. Yeah, it was during the... Um, bravo re-release of the show where he added and it was kind of like him writing the ship essentially mm-hmm. of like airing his grievances with where the the show ended up by mm-hmm. the by its conclusion and she says i play my part on life's stage i tell what i can to form the perfect answer but that answer cannot come before all are ready to hear so i tell what i can to form the perfect answer Sometimes my anger at the, fi- at the fire is evident. Sometimes it is not anger, really. It may appear as such, but could it be a clue? The fire I speak of is not a kind fire. She should be a politician. She said she's, a lot without saying anything. Yeah, she's really, you know. <laughs> Verbose. <laughs> yeah, she can, she's beautiful words, and then you get lost in it, and then you're like, wait a minute, she didn't say anything. That's <laughs> how so they get you. Yeah. Okay. Um, so but no, yeah, it's she's they're great. I yeah. think and those a, those are very and like everything she says, even outside of the intro sections, are these cryptic really clues. Read into them and yeah, her I've, her sequence in this is just phenomenal. When we were 
this when is we, this is one of my favorite episodes. I really, really like this episode. When we started it, when she came on screen, I was like, God, we really haven't gotten a lot of log lady. And then to she, you really don't yeah. ever like she's she just she's kind of, in a few bits. This is her only real scene. Is it really? Yeah. Huh. Until season three, sure. but she is in bits. She's got a little bit of a scene in the finale, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, it's just little bits of her like spitting gum or weird things but this is the only real like scene she has mm-hmm. um so let's jump into the episode mikey i know you really enjoy this intro um we start in the great northern wow slipped on that one huh i uh, start in the great northern cooper's in bed and we hear men singing and clapping <laughs> uh, disturbing the sleep of Agent Dale Cooper, who makes a voice note to Diane that he's been awakened at 4 a.m. and asks her to send him <laughs> and asks her to send him earplugs. Diane, it is 4:28 a.m. I have just been woken up by the most god awful racket, which you can probably hear over the sound of my voice. Can you hear that? Up until this moment, I've experienced nothing at the Great Northern Hotel but the most pleasant, courteous service imaginable. However, it just goes to prove the point that once a traveler leaves his home, he loses almost 100% of his ability to control his environment. Um, you really like the bit when he holds the recorder up? It's just the whole thing plays with very genuine frustration. Mm-hmm. Of just, all I, all I wanted this entire time was a nice place to, like... I'm focused and everything all day long, every day. I just want to go to sleep and relax when I'm here. And this is what I have to deal with. And just the frustration is so like. It's palpable. Cranky and just someone who hasn't slept and is just angry. But also it's the anger coming from a nice man. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he's not storming on the halls. This is ridiculous. And he's just, it's just, I'm just. This is so annoying, and I don't want. I just want to go to sleep. <laughs> like it just, it's, it's very good. Wow, that it's turned into you IRL for a second. <laughs> That's maybe why I like this sequence so much. Yes. I can relate. Um, Cooper enters the dining room as the singing continues, and the waitress tells him that the men are on a business junket from Iceland. Uh, Audrey offers to help Cooper with his case, but he tells her to go to school. Then asks how old she is. Yeah. This is where they were still toying with the idea of getting them in a relationship. Getting that. I, from my my understanding is that Mark Frost really wanted it to happen, and this is a Mark Frost written episode. Yeah. And there's many different stories about. Spoiler: They don't get together, yeah. I guess. But there's many different stories about why their relationship goes where it does, why it does. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, a, a common one is um, McLaughlin creepy. was dating um, Lara Flynn Boyle at the time, and Lara Flynn Boyle didn't want it to happen. Oh, um, that's a big one. A lot of them is a lot of it is just like it's it's creepy. It's creepy, but it was well to the me- whole show. Like everyone is played like adults. Yeah, and it's 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 all weird. And it's a, it's creepy in a twenty twenty lens, the you know, but I don't know. Like, there's a lot of stuff. I'm okay with it. I I think it it's a crossover between this episode and the next episode because the next episode picks up right where this mm-hmm. one left off. Um, the way they handle it, I think, is is 
wonderful mm-hmm. the like the the way they uh, address the the really like Attention. is there going to be a relationship what is the, the relationship how is it going to happen is addressed so beautifully we'll get into that next week mm-hmm. um but that like that whole sequence is one of my favorite yeah i mean my thought on it is like she's 18 so it's not illegal but to me it doesn't jive with cooper's character like yeah. that seems like something he would never let himself get involved in yeah I I think they were just trying to give him some impulse and some other direction instead of just this like but I hi ho but I think that's what kinda, I like about Cooper is he's so singularly focused on what yeah. his mission is and he's also like falling in love with Twin Peaks as a city or as a mm-hmm. town and wants to you know consider making a life there so I don't know I just I'm glad they didn't move forward with it. I think that there's was- also no like they want you know they have to give him a love interest because that's television right. and there's no characters his age everyone's yes. either a little bit older mm-hmm. and involved married and or, or both mm-hmm. or they're high school students yeah yeah or they work at one eye jacks <laughs> okay so um audrey oh was so, um so Cooper tells Audrey to go to school and ask how old she is, learning that she's 18. I think that was a kind of the first moment when he, they, I think that was probably, and I have no reason to think this or whatever, just my own gut says adding that, how old are you, was at last, like, we need the if audience to know happen, that it's... she is 18. Like, yeah, that's... they just needed to get that in yeah. there, I think. Um... Cooper leaves as Jerry hugs a loud man and yells in Icelandic. Jerry is really all up in this episode. <laughs> Jerry's great. <laughs> He's so good. Um, He's just a fun Jerry distraction is, character. Jerry we haven't seen in a couple episodes. So Jerry is Ben Horn's uh, brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Audrey's uncle and Ben mm-hmm. Horn owns the, the Great Northern. Um, Ben, speaking of, uh, smokes a cigar in his office and Jerry enters. Uh, Ben says all of the guests have complained about the men from Iceland. Um, and Jerry says they're excited about the Ghostwood Development Project. Uh, Ben says he's thrown a gala reception for the Icelandic investors and suggests a visit to One-Eyed Jacks. Leland enters. (laughs) In like, the, the weird, like the... We should go, huh? And oh, like, did I cover, miss that? I wasn't looking. Like, yeah, he he goes. Maybe we should make a trip, eh? and like and winks co- all weird, and then covers his eye in like the most obvious way. And yeah. Jerry's like, "Oh, I get that one." <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, we should we should go over to Nadine's house or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Leland. So that's Laura Palmer's father, who is. In the midst of a nervous breakdown, mm-hmm. among other issues, um, enters and offers his help with the new investment group, and then immediately breaks and down. And just crying. looks incredibly disheveled. Disheveled, and, and, yeah, yeah. Um, understandably. Oh, so. for sure. But I, but I also like I, I really understand the catalyst for this moment of like I, I need to do something. Right now, I'm just sitting at home with my wife, mm-hmm. and and my niece and whatever, and she's doing everything. She's getting. I need to. I need to do something mm-hmm. because this I can't take this or whatever. Right. Um, Meanwhile, it's only been like three days, four days, whatever. Right. 
the police search Jacques Renault's apartment. Um, Jacques is suspected of something, something, something. Murdering Laura Palmer. <laughs> I've seen it both ways. Okay, Jacques. <laughs> I mean, he's the yeah. He's um. They got the lead to him through, um, like Flesh World, and he's they or through and Bernard who alerted him. Bernard was his brother, cousin, whatever it was. Oh yeah. Um, alerted him at the double R that like he's clearly up to some shady shit and then they found the bloody shirt in his apartment that Bobby planted there oh okay so Uh, so Jacques uh, has worked at the lumber mill um, until he gained weight and then he started attending bar Uh, Harry reports that no one has seen Jacques for two days and it looks like Bernie jumped bail um, Bernie, which we know Bernie is dead via Leo. He was wrapped up. Yeah, we saw him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that now. Okay, Doc Hayward. So this is just sort of the town doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reports that the blood in the shirt is the wrong. And Donna's dad. And Do- oh, yeah, and Donna's dad. Um, reports, reports that the blood on the shirt is the wrong type to be Laura Palmer's, but it might be Jacques. Uh, there's a copy of Flesh World. Okay, Mikey and I were discussing this. What we see is Cooper get like a boost mm-hmm. from Harry, from Sheriff Truman. He goes out of frame and comes back down with a magazine. Mm-hmm. Mikey thinks there's a drop ceiling because that's the only thing that makes sense. But the way, just the way he comes down with it looks like it was just stuck to the ceiling with like that gummy stuff. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that's where really, I keep my magazine. And they just didn't show it. It was very strange. But also, I was very impressed by his very good balance when um, um, when Harry gave also, him a Also, this scene starts with a shot of that lamp. It could be, like, stuck to the lamp fixture in some way. Oh, sure. Um, but the, the, the scene opens on that lamp and then pulls down to them in the kitchen where there's that great exchange of Cooper, still tired and frustrated, mm-hmm. walking in, looks into the kitchen, opens an empty box of donuts, and looks back at Truman just broken hearted. <laughs> like, please tell me there's more donuts. It and is- then like and then and then even better, uh Truman looks at Andy, gives him like, Hey Andy, can you go get and then gives him like the little like, like an okay AOK sign? symbol like International symbol for donut, apparently. And Obviously. Andy's like, I'll go get him. And then goes and gets donuts and comes and back. And also, like, why does there have to be a special signal? He just said he wanted donuts. Like, I feel like even Andy could have picked two and two <laughs> yeah. together on that. It's, But it's just such a, like, yeah, it's such a quirky moment. But, like. But his devastation his is very absolute, real. His absolute, like, really, this is how today is yeah. going to go is just top notch. Um, The. Bup, bup, bup. Uh, this, the magazine, so Flesh World. The magazine is a clearinghouse, um, a middleman between readers and advertisers. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacques had represented, ooh, we're not going to use this word, but um, a man dressed as a woman or a trans woman, unclear. Um, and there was a picture of Leo Johnson's truck on a bookmark. I don't think they mentioned that at all yet. Oh, I know. Oh, the the, the, guy. the photo. Gotcha. It was just like, I thought um, you were talking about a future character. It just no, no, no. It was gotcha. just like a man in a yeah. woman's dress. Yeah, I don't know anything beyond that. Um, anyway, uh, so cut to Shelley and Bobby. There's also, for some reason, 
I don't know why Leo's truck is always in Flesh World. <laughs> it just seems like a weird, like in in a why previous issue that there? they found in uh, Laura's like, safe deposit box. There's just like a picture of Leo. It's not like Leo standing in front of his truck. And I want to be clear, it's not a distinctive truck. It's, it's just a regular. Leo, yeah, it's like, Leo's big rig. Like there's just I don't know why there's always a picture of Leo's big rig in there. Like they can figure out that Leo's a scumbag without yeah. his truck appearing in Flesh um, World. But there's also a picture. Of oh, the... Flesh World. That's what we should call this podcast. Why? Because it's gross. Okay. Um. I feel like there's better one-liners in the entire log lady sequence, but anyway. Um, it's but not like a one-liner; he, it's just a gross he thing. He sees that it's the, the red drapes. He also sees a photograph of a cabin in the inside the cabinet uh, in Jock's thing with the red drapes, and oh, uh-huh. makes a note of that. And then he mentions that. Do they skip over the fact that they identified Laura? They might. I was just thinking that they, I think they come back to this scene and okay. they're still there. Um. Okay. So cut to Shelly and Bobby. Um. Shelly is married to Leo, who's our big bad villain right now. Bobby is her boyfriend, who used to be dating Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. Um. But they are just a real attractive couple. Um. They sit down for breakfast and joke about how they'll stand up to Leo, which presumably that means he stayed the night. Yeah. Which is just bonkers. I mean, if Leo's out, uh, yeah, yeah, I but guess she they also never like know. when Leo leaves, he just like I'm leaving. I'll be back in a couple of days. Like you don't, you have no idea when or where he is. They're like, also eighteen year old idiots. Yeah, so. I don't know. But then they have this whole sequence where they're like playing a, with a gun. Mm-hmm. I he and he's pointing it at him and he's turning it back towards themselves and it's at Shelly mm-hmm. just because he's flippantly pointing it around and I first time I saw this I was like well someone's getting shot yep someone's about to act he's accidentally gonna shoot Shelly and then yep. they have to figure out like and it just is so it's Nerve silly breath. and fun but like tense in this great way like something about the way it's shot and the way it's like mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, oh. Okay. Oh, no, they're just dumb kids. Yeah. Um, they hear a knock on the door. They hear a car approaching or something. And Bobby hides as uh, Andy, who's a deputy, who's a big goober, um, comes to the door. Shelly talks to Andy about Leo, Laura, and Jacques and promises to call as soon as Leo gets back home. And she kind of plants some like, oh. Oh, is this about Jacques? Yeah. And then who? Jacques Renault? <laughs> you love that, don't you? It's, it's just so... It, yeah, it also like there's a thing that comes in season two where he's like reading something in French, and he, <laughs> it's just the most like phonetic American accent. <laughs> you mean Jacques Renault? Like it's just yeah, Jacques. Yeah. Um, Bobby praises her performance. Then Leo calls to ask if anyone has looked for them. Bobby, that's a weird scene or a weird moment. Okay. Of why does Leo call and why does Leo call then? Um, probably because they wrote it in the script. But like, someone comes to the door, says like, "Hey, is Leo here?" Do you think he was supposed to be staking out the house? In which case, he would is know he? about Bobby. Exactly. That's why the whole thing is weird. Or is it just like a, a shitty weird coincidence? Yeah, I think it's just con- convenient timing for the plot to move forward. Yeah. Because then she. Um, when she's on the phone with him, Bobby gives her the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and she looks at it as she tells Leo she misses him. So, like, you had to have all those characters. You know, you had to have Bobby and Shelly yeah. together to make that scene work. I think. Okay. Cut to um, Big Ed's gas farm. Uh, Big Ed Hoof. Um, Big Ed is somebody's uncle. James's uncle. James's uncle. He is married to Nadine. Who has an eye patch and invented is silent. Is oh. completely silent drape runners. Yeah. And um, she's working on the patent now, mm-hmm. which they discuss in that scene. Um. And so and Big Ed is and secretly in love with Norma, Norma Jennings. Norma owns the Double R Diner. Um, Big Ed owns a gas farm. Do we know what it is? We do not. Um, so Big Ed meets Dorma, Norma at his gas farm. His gas farm while Nadine is meeting a patent attorney for her silent drape runners. Norma says that Hank will be returning and Big Ed said it's... Um, so she's trying to tell him to leave Nadine and... And come be with her, right? Is that what her name is? It's, it's. I don't know if it's. That's an option. It's not. It's not quite an ultimatum, but it's like, I can't. I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I. I'm either we need to step away from each other, or you need to leave your wife and come be with me, right. or something. Something's got to give because this doesn't work. Right. And it's it's a beautiful scene. This and I think it's the very next scene actually is the gazebo thing with James and Donna. No, there's one more. Between um, them. These are beautiful scenes, but bother me that they're like shot at noon in Southern California. Oh, really? Like this is this is now late February, possibly even March. In the Pacific Northwest. In the Pacific Northwest, and it's gorgeous out. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't look right. Mm-hmm. And like, you, there's ways you can cheat it and make it look more dreary, but it's just both of these scenes are distractingly bright. <laughs> and it it's the type of thing where, like, this scene would work fine if it didn't matter the location, but the location is just so prominent in uh-huh. this show that it bothers me every time i don't know it's just it's so sunny um norma says that hank will be returning and big ed says nadine is not well and norma tells ed not to call her so they more or less end their Mm -hmm. romantic relationship at this point which is too bad because they're the only good couple (laughs) um next we cut to um audrey had told her dad that she wants to start working so she has an interview with Emery um, Battis, mm-hmm. uh, the manager of Horn's department store. Do you, okay, here's my question. They showed the facade of the of the um, uh, of the department store. Where is it supposed to be? Because it looks like a little like strip mall. S- I mean, not a strip mall as much as just like a sort of like city street, which appears really nowhere else in yeah twin peaks it's a really it's also one of the like doesn't even doesn't match the pilot either which is the only other time you see horn's department store Mm. um at least there's a couple like interior shots but anything exterior yeah i'm just talking the exterior Um, shot it looks like it's supposed to be like a small little main like i think they're trying to make it like a small little main street okay but we've not been there Uh, 
No, you kind of see it again. There's a bank at the season finale that you kind of see something similar again. But you just, you don't see a lot. This this show films very few exteriors. That's exactly what I And most of the exteriors are the woods and mountains and things like that. Which is why, uh, to my previous point, like the sun, things like, and I think the reason they do it is because things like that are distracting. Mm -hmm. Anything outside is weird. Yeah. It doesn't match. It doesn't match like the this you know the aesthetic that the pilot set up. Yeah, like Ed's gas farm, to me looks a little more obviously besides the lighting, mm-hmm. but like that at least looks like I understand where that fits into the city, yeah, the town. I mean, because it's kind of just its own standalone thing, but right. it also like because everything is shot under that hood, mm-hmm. that like covering. There's no direct sunlight on anything, so everything um, looks a little more natural. Yeah. For that area. Um, so uh, Emery says that she should start, if she wants to start working, what does he say? Start low, aim high. Um, mm-hmm. And she should start in their rapping department. And she was like, nah, actually. Such great. Um, and said, asks to start in perfumes. Um, and he says no. And she said, I hate this. Honestly, really? I absolutely hate Why? Um, because I don't think like the uh, the trope of like oh if you don't so what happens is she says I want to start in perfumes he says no and she says well you can tell my dad I'm rapping but you're going to start me in perfumes and if you don't I'm going to rip my dress and tell everybody that you made a pass at me I yeah and that's the problem is that that's kind of a cap and I always kind of forget about that very last like basically like I just love her I'm going to do what I have to do, and I'm going to get what I want. Oh. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, I, I appreciate her. But I know, I know, yeah, ways, no, but I know what you mean. It gives me the, it's just a thing that. Sure. Is a trope that is used that so infrequently happens in real life, but people are mm-hmm. constantly afraid that it does, and it's just adding on to trash. Um, me, here's the other thing, though, which gives it a little bit more allowance or something, I guess. She wants that job at the perfume counter because she knows that's where One-Eyed Jax is getting their girls. Right. They're, they're funneling them through the perfume counter. Emery Battis is running that perfume counter. Mm-hmm. So... So do you think he knows that these girls are going to... Oh, absolutely. Oh, 100%. Does. And I think she knows he knows. Oh. She knows he's in charge of that. So she oh, I assumed he was sees just sort him of... as a character who would potentially be trying to pull her in. Gotcha. That's why he says no to the perfume counter in the first place is, I don't want to deal with your father. Oh. As being the guy who pushed you into One-Eyed Jacks. I, ass- I guess I didn't realize that he knew, like he was part of what was going on. I think, and I assumed yeah. he's just like an unwitting Yeah, I think he Patsy. is. I mean... I think he's a little bit, I don't know that he's in charge, but he's... Has a hand in it. At the very least, is turning a blind eye to what he knows is happening. Sure. Um, and he's definitely enabling it. And so I think it's not too far out of the realm of possibilities that he's the type of guy who would do mm. something because he's trying to get her into the... Yeah. You know what I mean? And sure. so it, it has a little bit more merit, I mm-hmm. think, that way, but... Um, Donna meets James in a gazebo. Um, this is Mikey's other bright scene. 
not like not bright in like a good way. No, 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 no. This scene is literally bright. Pretty <laughs> sunny. Awful in it in every way. Um, yeah, I did hate this scene. There, there was supposed to be more. I don't know if it was in this episode. It's in deleted scenes somewhere where James's mom comes in and we get all that information from his mom. Mm. And I think they wanted to. They're they're already at a point where they're struggling to give James some depth. He's boring. Because yeah, he's a pretty worthless character. He served his purpose of being Laura Palmer's secret Lover, boyfriend. Yeah. The guy who filmed their little picnic thing. Mm-hmm. Now he doesn't have a purpose and he's contracted. So they're trying to find yeah. things to do. And to make him a more likable character, they tried to give him this depth of a backstory. But it's also just like just shoehorned in there. And also like, the in most this wi- boring yeah, backstory. It's, it's yeah. Um, and then it's so like my dad left when I was a kid and my mom's an alcoholic. Understand if you hate me now. Like what? what? <laughs> like I it's don't... just so yeah, it's it's dumb. Yeah, he All uh... all of James is a struggle and unfortunately Donna's a little bit of a ride. She's uh-huh. got her high moments and low moments and whatever. James just gets worse and worse and worse yeah. to it. He reaches a point midway through season two that it's just Y'all buckle awful. up for a James yeah. side story. It's going yeah. to get rough. But um yeah. I honestly, I don't like the characters of either Donna or James. I don't. I. Th- it's one of those things that, like, if they don't show up in an episode, if they don't show up for a few scenes, I don't miss them at I, all. I'm not wondering what I, they're doing. I definitely agree with that for James. When they figure out some things to do with Donna, like, I kind of, kind of enjoy Donna's little... Nancy Drew fetish mm-hmm. you know what I mean like oh yeah she's she's stuff. like this kid who just doesn't know anything but it's like we're gonna solve the murder yeah um, and it's just so naive but like I'm plausible really excited that in this episode Maddie and James and Donna get together because they are like the Scooby-Doo gang it's absolutely absolutely so worthless but boy oh boy are they and it's, trying <laughs> but it's 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 kind of funny it's fun it watching is. them try to do their like play their little games and none of it they come up with nothing yeah. like by the end like they do all these things and really nothing comes of it no. and it's and it's exactly how it would be like it's it's very I think reminiscent of the current internet age of like well like everyone who's like i did my research like no you watched a couple of fucking shitty youtube videos right there's people are like scientists who've been dedicating their lives to this yeah, and have paying the scientists, multiple degrees like yeah exactly all who that paid shit for like those fancy degrees it's it's them trying to do like it's their whole character art collectively is I've done my research. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's who they are and they're doing their research. But they have no resources, no um, means of doing this, no tools, nothing look at their disposal. Mercury and vaccines. Okay, yeah, exactly. I did my research. Ugh. Um so anyway, back to James and Donna. James says his father did not die when he was ten, but he was a musician and ran away and bailed on his family. Then he says that his mom is an alcoholic and a, this is what it says, a promiscuous writer. 
He tells Jonah that he But she was a pretty good writer. She wrote some good poems and short stories. Um, and he tells Jonah that he doesn't want any secrets between them. That was a nothing burger of a scene. Yeah, move on. I hated it. Okay. The officers and forensic team go through Jacques' apartment um, and okay. discover that, the, that he managed correspondence for another advertiser in the magazine, Laura. Her photograph... So it's... Like from the shoulders down, this photo. Yeah, the shot is from yeah the neck down or whatever. Um, um, but he recognizes red drapes, and I think this is why they called this episode Cooper's Dreams because in it he never has a dream. Yeah. But all this is where he gets several clues from his dreams Correct. start to come to fruition. Correct. So this being one of them, the there's always music in the air. The, yeah, that comes in a little bit later. But like the red drapes is his first like, okay, this this means something yeah. like there's a connection here follow this lead this is going to pan out as being something important um her photograph is in front of red drapes much like those in the cabin in jock's photograph um uh, cooper says to pack up and go through the woods um then we cut to the r and r double r double r r and r that doesn't mean anything to me um r and r is like military leave when you go on rest and relaxation yeah maybe that's it I'm just really thinking about military leave a lot these days, I guess. Okay, Matt. Double, double R is in, named after the railroad. Is it? Mm-hmm. Just for railroad? It's not mm-hmm. named after the name of the railroad? You can't just, R-R. You can't just shake your R-R head. R-R railroad. <laughs> Norma and Shelly. Oh, no. Skipped one. Maddie enters the diner and meets James and Donna. Yeah. This scene is <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> There's something I really enjoy, and I feel like it really comes out. Like, this isn't obviously the first time we, we've met Maddie, but this is the first time, and I do not mean this as a dig on the actress whose name is... Maddie's name? Yeah. Cheryl Lee. Cheryl Lee, who also plays Laura Palmer. But I feel like she's acting her little ass off to be like, I'm just an innocent girl. I didn't know mm-hmm. Maddie. I didn't know Laura that well. I'm in... Like... It it makes me. Did we talk about the Saint Elmo's Fire thing when we were on you this did, show yeah. about how like somebody saw a character they used to play? And I'm like, I'm gonna do the opposite of that because yeah. I'm an actor, and that's. I, I think it evens out a little bit. She becomes more of a three dimensional human being, mm-hmm. but this is just so much like what I'm just here from Missoula and helping my aunt and uncle. Yeah, but that's that's also who she is. I no, think. I know I think it's just very yeah very acted. Is Daddy talking in her sleep? Yeah, she's... If you hear noises, it's our dog talking in her sleep. Um, Donna swears Maddie to secrecy, and they ask her to look for Laura's secret hiding place. More more importantly, she orders a cherry Coke. Wow, this father's Mikey. <laughs> it's, it's like there's like there's forums and shit about this cherry Coke. <laughs> really? It's amazing. But like, and so James get her, gets her a cherry Coke. It's full. Gives her a straw that never gets unwrapped. She never drinks the cherry Coke. They, none of it, like, and it, I don't think it would be a big deal except for at the end of the scene, they, like, get up and are walking away, and then it, like, zooms in on the cherry Coke that's still just full on the table. Okay. So they know it was there? Here. And then, and then obviously, the cherry Coke moves over, and it's to reveal that Hank is sitting on the booth behind them. But... Here's my theory. Okay. Bring it. Um, Somebody... And I'm going to say Shelly wanted to poison Maddie 
for reasons unknown. Now, James is in on it because he believes that uh, Laura Palmer faked her own death, found a mediocre quality wig and some glasses and was like, nobody will ever know. Especially if I talk real sweet. Twin Peaks is solved. (laughs) I did it. Nailed it. Got it. Um, yeah, no, like it's... So no, you're saying? No. You I'm think it's th- Norma? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if anybody, it was Hank, who was sitting right behind him, and is yeah, but already how to evil. Ha- Michael, listen to yourself. How would Hank have been able to poison the coke? He doesn't work behind the counter. Are yeah, he you- does. Not yet. Michael, Ugh. this is a serious <laughs> show. You can't just say things. Uh-huh. People depend on us for facts. Sorry, I made myself laugh again. Uh, <laughs> um, Hank sits at the next table, having heard their conversation. Norma and... Um, Which also doesn't... Why? Unclear. Why, why did Hank need to have heard that conversation? I mean, I don't even know... Hank if, probably doesn't even know who Laura Palmer is or that she's dead. This feels like a... Uh, a sort of editorializing of Twin Peaks. Or are they Wiki. trying to set up Hank as a suspect even though he was in jail when... Mm, yeah, I mean, he has that creepy domino, so maybe he's like, uh... Who's it, Gambit, who throws shit at people and kills him? Mm-hmm. Is that the right person? Mm-hmm. Are you... No, yeah, it's the X-Men, he charges things. Oh, it, playing, I was right? Playing cards. I thought famously. you just wanted me to shut up and move on. <laughs> I mean, two things can be true. Uh, Norm and Shelly enter the diner with their hair and makeup done. These girls are walking some <laughs> beehives. Now, uh, what's funny about some it? Some Bufanti-ass 1950s here's, beehives. Here's my favorite thing about that scene now. And you don't get this until 2010 or whatever this maybe happened. Norman, Norman uh, Jennings, played by Peggy Lipton, her daughter, uh-huh. Rashida Jones. Oh! My God! Her daughter is Rashida Jones. And this scene, and I would be curious to ask about if anyone knows, if anyone has heard a story or something or knows Rashida Jones or something and can confirm this. But I'm convinced that this, so Norma and uh, Shelly walk in dolled up with this like cake batter full of. It's a lot of love. Yeah. And big old hair. And then several years later, The Office comes out and Rashida Jones is going into a sales call with Phyllis. Um, and Phyllis makes him get these crazy makeovers that look almost the same. Even more gaudy, but yeah. yeah. But the same concept. And then it was like, oh, the guy what we're doing. So that makes sense. So that happens in The Office. But Peggy Lipton and her daughter Rashida Jones both doing the same gag. I think it's an homage. I've always thought the office bit was an homage to this ridiculous scene. Oh, my. But I I have no idea or if that's just me. That is wild. When did you notice that? It wasn't just this time, was it? No, it's, it's, I forgot about it until this. Um, But I've, it's a thing I've noticed before. shit. Or made the, you know, correlation before. Um, Hank greets Norma and says... Mm. Hank grabs Norma. Yes. Like, in in a way that's like... Violent. Yeah, like, grabs her arm and kind of pulls her over like, hey, I'm here now. 
And it's just like, oh, shit, this is who this guy is. Mm-hmm. At first it was like, okay, I don't get a read on him. Is he – it was a vehicular manslaughter. Maybe it was a thing. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like he's running some side crime thing. Oh, shit, he's not – like he's this a- is your moment of like – Oh, if this is how he greets her after he's out of prison and he's trying to do right, right. supposedly, terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. Like, he's the way he grabs her is, like, scumbag. jarring. Uh, Hank greets Norma and says he'll try to earn his way back into Norma's heart. She tells him to start by washing dishes. Invitation to Love, which is the show within a show mm-hmm. that vaguely mirror- mirrors the events of the show in a decidedly more soap opera, mm-hmm. soap operatic uh uh, flavor. Um, Invitational Love is on television. Montana beats up Chet as Jared watches. I didn't know they had names. Oh, yeah. And they get credit and everything. Like, Do they? <laughs> yeah. Um, I I just love... I love... My favorite thing about Invitational Love is that every time you see Invitational Love, it's right at the title card. Well, yeah. They always do the scene and then invitation to love. Well, here's the thing with all um, so Twin Peaks scenes. Every scene ends at an hour mark. Mm. So it, that way. You're thinking of 24. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I get this mixed up all the time. Um, okay. Bobby's parents talk about his behavior problems with Dr. Jacoby. I very much liked this scene. I I do too. I I love. First, I, I love the backwards approach of this scene Mm -hmm. of instead of starting with a wide shot of okay now you're in Jacoby's office you see Jacoby's there Bobby's there Um, so Bobby's there with both his parents yeah in family therapy yeah and so you see starts on Betty Briggs Mm -hmm. and then it quick pans over to um uh Captain Briggs uh Major Briggs Major Briggs Garland Briggs Garland Briggs he says a lot and then it just goes back and forth between the two of them for a little while and then it cuts over to Jacoby uh-huh. who's laying down he is, like full on he's prostrate. hands <laughs> behind his like totally like backwards of your stereotype like uh-huh. everything about this scene is backwards uh-huh. like this is totally like the backwards stereotype of like the person laying on the couch the person laying the on their couch like I've never personally been to therapy but like I don't think that's what it is. Um, I have, and it is. Is my, it every, every time? Like, my I don't know. therapist always was fully reclined, and she wore <laughs> no, 3D yeah. glasses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, right. My fault. But, like, he's just, like, laying down, like, total, and, like... Yeah, they sit in a fucking chair like adults. And, like, Garland and Betty both still have on jack. Like, Garland's got his, like, military uniform on. He always wears yeah. his military uniform. But they're sitting, like, upright at the edge of their chair, and he's, like, laying us... And then it cuts back to... A three shot of Betty Briggs, Garland Briggs, and Bobby Briggs, who's like sprawled out like this, like just <laughs> shitty, angsty teenager. It's the way this scene is directed is it's, just phenomenal. It's so many wild choices that work. Every really one of them works. Well. I was watching. So part of the reason the audio sounds better today is we went and got some stuff fixed. We or just, um, just did. And while she was gone, Zach, I watched interviews. <laughs> With shout out to Zach. Hey, Zach. I watched interviews of Leslie Linkaglatter, who directed this episode, not talking. Not Linkaglatter. Don't be right, idiots, right. guys. Not, not Richard Linkaglatter. Um, talking about directing and her choices and, and working. She had apparently somehow gotten an invite to the pilot um, of the release of the pilot because they released oh, it like a, the a movie. Thing? 
beer swig. Um, <laughs> a really wonderfully timed sip of beer, Mikey. Thank you. Um, so she did that and then was kind of met Lynch and was talking to him and became friends to the point where they brought her in to do this episode. And one of the things she she said had was going through her mind while making this was in the first episode after the pilot there's the scene where they go to the bank where they're going to the safe deposit box and there's the giant moose head on the table oh uh-huh and she's like it's such an obscure choice and like they never really reference it i mean at one point they look at it and she goes oh it fell down mm-hmm. but they don't there's no reason, real reason for it to be there. And she said she was talking to Lynch about it like, why why did you put that moose head there? And he said, it was there. <laughs> and she's like, I, I know, but like, why did you put it there? <laughs> and he said, the set dresser put it on the table because he was about to hang it on the wall uh-huh. and just hadn't yet. And when he walked by and saw it sitting on the table, he was like, oh, I like that. Let's use that. And so the set dresser walked over to, like, put it up. And he was like, no, 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 leave it on the table. We're going to shoot around it on the table. <laughs> and she's like, so my approach to Twin Peaks, because this is one of her earlier works. And then subsequently, her entire career has been the thing that goes, she said, goes through her head all the time is make room for the moose. Oh, I love that. Which is, um, which in her mind means go in with a plan, uh-huh. go in with your ideas, have a structure. But then roll with punches. But be ready. If that moose is sitting on the table and you like it, be willing to adapt to it. Yeah. And I really, really loved that. It was um, lovely. And it's just kind of, yeah, make room for the moose. Um, God, that's my next tattoo for sure. Um, Bobby talks Bobby's parents talk about his behavior problems Dr. Jacoby he asks Bobby if he's been using drugs he said I really like this exchange of have you been doing drugs no but you've been drinking that's not what he asked like it's, <laughs> it's such a good thing it is it's such a yeah everybody drinks and yeah. <laughs> my dad killed and, someone but then also Betty his mom pops up and is like that's a drug but mm, uh, uh, like it's such a like every one of them is just like play and then they say like I want you know what I want to talk to Bobby alone and Garland's like but is this family therapy he's been spending more and more of his time alone in his room it's become much more difficult to engage him in conversation terrible mood swings we've been told by the school that his attendance has become erratic at best and then there's the matter of public fighting both at the roadhouse and at the funeral are you using drugs, Bobby? Nope. Alcohol. Alcohol's a drug. Well, that's not what he meant. Alcohol doesn't count? Everybody drinks. Are you unhappy, Bobby? Shouldn't I be? Well, that's not for me to say. Have you ever killed anybody? Have you? My father has. During wartime. That's different. Different from what? Perhaps I should spend uh, a few minutes with Bobby alone. This is supposed to be family counseling. Well, and I'll need to spend some time with each member of the family alone, but uh, Bobby first. Fair enough. Whatever you say. It's just everything is perfect <laughs> in this scene. 
and eventually, yeah, convinces them to, to leave and they and Jacoby. But and, very patiently being like, well, I'm going to talk to each of you yeah, alone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but these are moments that, like, by the end of this scene, is Jacoby a good doctor? Oh, that's entirely unclear. Like, but it's it's going back to, like, the office. Um, you You see how, like, Michael Scott is a terrible boss and he's, you know... Just making stupid yeah. choices, and he's doofus, and he's always distracting people, and all these things, or whatever. And he's a terrible employee. But then every once in a while, you get that moment of like, "Oh, but he's a fucking good salesman." Yeah. Like, there's a moment that, like, like everything you've seen of Jacoby is like, this guy's a twisted fucking weirdo pervert. Uh huh. What the fuck is he doing with like trusting? What is anybody doing trusting secrets with this man? Like, yeah. what the fuck? And then he has this like kind of weird backwards way of getting to Bobby, but in a way that like, that's how you got to kind of get to a kid. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. And it's, Oh shit. Was but, the first moment of like, maybe Jacoby is kind of good. at Yeah. This. But the way he gets into it made me a little uncomfortable. Also just quick sidebar. I thought while I was walking today, I thought of a really funny thing that should have happened. When, <laughs> when, okay. Imagine this. Imagine Rod Blagojevich gets out oh, of Jesus. prison, and so he says, Governor Blagojevich. Because no one can say his name either, right? Uh, Governor Blago. Governor Blago, what was the worst part of prison? And he goes, the Dementors. What? <laughs> Wouldn't that make you like him a little bit more, even though he's no. a scumbag? That would be a really funny bit, though. No, but what we can link to in this, I don't mm-hmm. know if you want to make a note, is the video where somebody put Twin Peaks mu- music over the t- like when Bl- 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 Blagojevich See, did get hard. I know when Blagojevich did get released he made a speech and oh, and it was, it was this so batshit speech weird. and someone put Twin Peaks music over it and I was like oh this is fucking awesome <laughs> so we can link to that and then the office makeovers makeovers um. Okay, <laughs> I still think that'd be really funny though. The Dementors, uh-huh. Prison Mike. Um, so he has. Um, Bobby said his father has killed people, and he's like, "Oh, that was in war." And he's like, "Yeah," and- which is just that's a, that. I feel like that's a very much a Mark Frost thing. Mark Frost is a pretty bleeding heart liberal uh-huh. and is not quiet about it. Right, and I think that's a very like it's still like his kind of his. Little sly, subtle statement mm-hmm. on war. Yeah. Um, Jacoby asks Bobby's parents to leave so he can talk to him privately. So now this is how Jacoby gets into Bobby's noggin. Jacoby asks Bobby if he cried the first time he and Laura made love and if Laura laughed at him. What? Why? Why? What? What? Michael? It worked. Let's talk about Laura. Okay, let's talk about Laura. Bobby, what? happened the first time that you and Laura made love? What the hell kind of question is that? Bobby, did you cry? Did I what? And then what did Laura do? Did she laugh at you?
Were you very sad when Laura died? Laura wanted to die. How do you know that? Because she told me. What else did she tell you? Did she tell you there, there was no goodness in the world? She said people tried to be good, but they were really sick and rotten, her most of all. And every time she tried to make the world a better place, something terrible came up inside her and pulled her back down into hell. It took her deeper and deeper into the blackest nightmare. And every time, it got harder to go back up to the light. Did you sometimes have the feeling that Laura was harboring some awful secret? Yeah. Bad enough that she wanted to die because of it? Yes. Bad enough that it drove her to consciously try to find people's weaknesses and prey on them, tempt them, break them down, make them do terrible, degrading things? Yes. Laura wanted to corrupt people because that's how she felt about herself. Yes. Is that what happened to you, Bobby? Is that what Laura did to you? <laughs> she wanted so much. She made me sell drugs so she could help. <laughs> what a, but given the context that we know Jacoby's sort of a weird pervo, was he, did he stumble into being a good therapist by being a big perv? He knows. Because Laura told him. Oh. Ugh. And with Laura being dead, there's not really doctor-patient confidentiality there. Is there? I don't know. I don't know, I don't know how that works. And that's where that gray area of him being good or bad at his job plays in. But he knows that that happened. Right. And so he's, this is, this is a tool in his arsenal. I'm going to throw this immediately yeah. and see what he says to get him to where I need him to be. And yeah. then he unloads. Um, Bobby says that Laura, so he kind of gets very emotional. Bobby says Laura wanted to die and that she told him so. She told him that people were sick and rotten. Uh, Jacoby asked if Laura had a terrible secret and, and says that she wanted to corrupt people. Jacoby asks if Laura had a terrible secret, and Jacoby says she wanted to corrupt people, or Bobby says she wanted to corrupt people. I don't know. Uh, and then Bobby admits that Laura made him sell drugs. Yeah. And I think a lot of this is... I think I'm answering my question in more dissection of this scene that, no, he's not a good therapist. <laughs> and he's really using Bobby to find out more about Laura. Yeah. Who he is. That's kind of my read, too. Yeah. But... He knows how to get to Bobby enough to get that information. Sure. Um, okay, going back to our officers. Uh, so we've got Hawk, we've got Truman, we've got Cooper. Um, they walk through the woods and a raven watches them. Yeah, that's a weird thing. I didn't care for the raven thing, but... <laughs> I, I feel like I've genuinely never seen a raven in real life, but they show up an awful fucking lot I mean, in literature. Yeah. And, um, in, yeah. 
Okay, Hawk tracks a path to a cabin, but Cooper says it's the wrong cabin. Harry advises Dr. Doc Haywood to... Am I saying Doc Haywood for a reason? Do they say it in the show, or am I just making that up? Doc Haywood instead of Dr. Haywood? Hey, word. Word? Do they say Doc Haywood, though? That's his name. I mean, he's the doctor. Well, it's just when it's it's written out, Dr. Haywood. Hey, word. Oh. And I was wondering, I don't know why I have Doc Haywood. Yeah, I don't think I've... They know, but Doc Hayward is fine. Um, the log lady greets them on the porch, and she offers them tea and cookies. She says the owls will not see them inside. This whole this whole intro is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It's the, they're creeping in because they don't even know where they're going, no. whose cabin this is, so they're just on the balcony. And she's like, hello, you guys are late. Yeah, she said they're a day late. Uh, two days late, I think, even. Two days late. And then just like, all right, well, come on in. Tea's, tea's almost ready. About time you got here. They move so slowly when they're not afraid. Come on, then. My log does not judge. I've got tea. I've got cookies. No cake. Well, that's very kind of you, ma'am, but I don't believe that... What kind of cookies? Sugar. The owls won't see us in here. My log does not judge. Mm-hmm. Come on in. And they're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> and they walk in and like, this is this is a moment, a great moment for like Twin Peaks versus the FBI and whatever of mm-hmm. when she's like, I've got cookies, um, but no cake. What does that mean? And, and Cooper immediately, like, just being the FBI man, is like, no, 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 ma'am, let's get down to business. We want to talk to you. <laughs> and he's like, no. <laughs> and Hawk just, like, immediately hands up. No. <laughs> She's offering cookies. What kind of cookies? We're going to get the cookies. Excuse me, ma'am, what kind of cookies do you have? <laughs> and, like, it's just such a great, like. Which, which feels really out of place for Hawk, who's usually pretty serious. That's what I think I love about it, is he, that, like... And cookies come I across could him, he's see, like, yeah. We don't know enough about Hayward for that. We, I could see Truman doing that, but I love that, like... Like, Hawk is just this stoic person, yeah. so to see him break like that over cookies, I think it's hilarious. It feels like a Cooper thing to do, of like, it oh, does, fuck yeah. It does, but, but it's also, like, I don't know, it's, it's just something fun about him being, like... The stoic man who sure. just cracks to be like, cookies. <laughs> <laughs> um, she says her log saw something significant. She says her husband was a lumberman and that he had met the devil. And Harry says this occurred the day after the wedding. She interprets the log. It saw two men and two girls and heard some screaming. My log saw something. Something significant. What did your log see? Tea first, then be ready. Thank you. My husband was a logging man. Oh? He met the devil. Fire is the devil hiding like a coward in the smoke. It was the day after the wedding, wasn't it, Margaret? The wood holds many spirits, doesn't it, Margaret? You can ask it now. What did you see that night? 
The night Laura Palmer was killed. Shh. I'll do the talking. Dark. Laughing. The owls were flying. Many things were blocked. Laughing. Two men. Two girls. Flashlights passed by in the woods over the ridge. The owls were near. The dark was, was pressing in on her. Quiet then. Later, footsteps. One man passed by. Screams. Far away. Terrible. Terrible. One voice. Man or girl? Girl. Further up, over the ridge, the owls were silent. Well, then Cooper asked, boy or girl, scream. Mm. She says it was a girl. Mm-hmm. So he assumes what the log saw was. Was Laura and what's her name? Well, they talk about this because she goes on to also say there was a third man. And then that's that's the big takeaway from this scene for them is that there were five people that night. The two girls uh-huh. are all of this presumably are Laura Palmer and Ronette Pulaski. Mm-hmm. The two men are Jacques, Leo, uh, and a third question who's mark. Who's the third man? And basically, we find that third man. We have the killer of Laura Palmer. Um, the men go further into the woods and find the cabin from the picture. They s- also, it, I mean, I think this scene is really good and important. And I feel I don't want to. The log scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like it's. What is your What is your take on now the significance of the log? I mean, I. We've talked about it before, and so my understanding was always that. She believes that the log holds the soul of her dead husband. Um, sure. And that's that's my approach. I mean, that's a common theory. That's my approach. But there's also theories about the log is just, you know, what did they refer to it as earlier? There's like a conduit? Something, there's something strange in these woods or something like that, they always say. And the log is just a part of that wood. Or that wood is, you know, that log is just a part of the woods to the point where this is, yeah, like a conduit to all that happens in the woods. Mm -hmm. We can see everything in the woods and I can see it through this and somehow she can talk through it or a combination of the two. Her husband was a logger who died Mm -hmm. in the woods in a logging accident. And so maybe the reason, so the wood is connected to the wood, the log is connected to the woods (laughs) But the reason she can talk to it is because of her dead husband. Like it's, but it's it gives you like this metaphysical yeah. realm and things to play with. Of and I think the fun of this show is that it both exists in natural and supernatural realms. Yeah, and that nobody really bats an eye and, that this woman and they're is, never in conflict with each other. Right, and nobody when she these three cops and a doctor walk in and she's like, ugh, you guys are two days late. And they're like, 
oh, okay, sorry. Like, okay, mm-hmm. here we come. Well, what's interesting, too, about that, like, they, for two days, have been putting together pieces. Mm-hmm. And then they meet Log Lady, and she basically confirms yeah. most of the pieces they put together in this way that, like, had they showed up there two days ago, yeah. she could have given him all that, that right. information. And so all the work you've done was pointless. Right. I would have told you all this. Right. But when I saw you in the diner and said, ask it, mm-hmm. and you looked at me kind of weird and said, fine, this is a joke. I'm going to leave. Uh-huh. Like, I could have told you, had... you all of this then. It's this very, like, yeah. <laughs> it's very uh, Glenda the Good Witch. Yeah. <laughs> you had it all along. Yeah. Um. Okay, the men go further into the woods and find the cabin from the picture. They sneak up on it. A, re- a record player is playing Into the Night on vinyl, making Cooper... Another Julie Cruz song? Uh, making Cooper remark that, quote, there is always music in the air. Uh, they find Waldo, who's a minor bird? Minor bird. Minor bird in a bird cage. You know his name is Waldo because there is a big sign on his cage <laughs> that says Waldo. Waldo. Um, some twine is on the floor along with a blood stain. A poker chip rolls out of the cuckoo clock. Uh, it's missing a piece, the same shape as that was found in Laura's stomach. Yeah. So, all of the physical evidence was here. Is now here. Yeah. And not hidden in any way. <laughs> um, the Martells, so Pete and Catherine, uh, who are truly the wildest couple in all of Catherine is amazing in this episode she's so good she, her bedroom scenes with ben horn i i'm not super into oh i like her i i love her like i don't those just something about the scenes with her and ben mm-hmm. just together in bed are just weird okay i don't care but like all of her stuff in the mill from like the pilot uh-huh. and this sequence this is the Catherine martell i'm on board for yeah yeah, yeah. and i think all of like maybe it's maybe it's because Leslie Linkaglatter is a woman and she's coming at it with a different approach with sure. other people but like all I feel like she brings out all the women characters in this episode mm-hmm. really well mm-hmm. like Log Lady Norma Audrey Catherine is just phenomenal in this episode mm-hmm. uh, Shelly yeah all her snarky comments towards Pete mm-hmm. like and <laughs> so good they walk in and and it's just they're just truly the oddest couple she's so poised and elegant and mm-hmm. like a real lady of means and pete martell is just all i want to do is fish sweet man who just wants to fucking fish mm-hmm. why would you let him so they walk in and she <laughs> they have to like take names at the door and she's like Catherine martell and spouse it's and <laughs> so good <laughs> um and then as she walks in. And this is the Icelandic reception. Yeah. And as she walks in, Pete's like, maybe lay off the sauce tonight or whatever. As she like chugs it. She immediately slam just slams a thing of champagne, which yeah. is not easy. It's effervescent. Yeah. Effervescent. Um, so she grabs two champagne flutes off a tray, does not hand him one, slam jams one, puts it back on the train and walks away with yeah. the other one. She knows and what the fuck is After up. a couple of belts, maybe you'll look good or whatever. Something. Oh, that poor man. Yeah. Um, Major Briggs. Meanwhile, like, Pete's just like, that's fine. <laughs> he just doesn't care. And, you know, he's one of the few people that is being cheated on who isn't a villain like Leo, but doesn't have his own torrid affair going on. Mm-hmm. Like, Pete doesn't, um, 
Mrs. Horn. Yeah, Sylvia Horn doesn't really She's get kind of too a much more. Of a character. Yeah, she, I she may not even be in it again. Oh, I don't recall. Um, but she doesn't have any real significance beyond that. Um, Major Briggs chats with chats. And, oh, she's yeah, she's definitely in the finale. Anyway, and Jerry flirts with Heba, 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 Heba. Um, I don't remember what he said, but I hated it. Do yeah, you? he was yeah. saying about like your name is like Heba, 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 oh, like Hubba Hubba. Like I think he was playing that. It was like it just reminded me of being like a teenager hanging out with my dad's like around my dad's friends who were all drunk and like (laughs) the thing I love is during this and when all this is being intercut there's also Ben is talking to the Icelanders and you finally hear the end of the joke that he says it was either last episode or two episodes I think it was two episodes ago where he's on the the stationary bike in his office right before Audrey talks to him and says I want a job at the department store or whatever and you hear him on the phone so all you hear is like, what do you get when you cross a Norwegian and a Swede? Oh, oh, oh right, right, right. Very good, very good. <laughs> and that's it. And so you don't hear the thing. And then now, like, it's just a fun payoff that you get the second half of this joke. Now. Yeah. Not a good joke. No, no. But. And really, maybe if we understood more about Swedish or Icelandic culture. Yeah, perhaps. It's something yeah. about. Oh, uh, no. It's because. As a socialist who wants to be king. Yeah. One of them has. It doesn't matter. It's but, yeah. boring. Um, as Benjamin tells jokes. Uh, Catherine pours her champagne on his foot and tells her to meet him in the office, which is a real weird way to get somebody's attention. But Worked. I mean, yeah. Um, and she like very deliberately. It's not like she splashes it and yeah. hits his foot. She like it's walks up and like, like. I feel like there's a very much like they're attra- like it's a power thing with. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's like borderline BDMS BDSM stuff uh-huh. with them. And, like, yeah. Ben likes to be dominated a little bit. And I think this is kind of all playing. Oh. I think this is all, like, subtle, subtle references to that that sure. you could get away with on basic cable. Um, but I think she dominates the fuck out of him in the bedroom. So Audrey notices that these two go off, her father and, and Catherine, uh, go off. So she goes into her uh, secret passage, which we established a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. and eavesdrops. Uh, Catherine confronts Ben about the poker chip and she slaps him thrice and then so they good. kiss and it's it's like and it's not like slap 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 it's just like slap is that all you got and then, slap and then lefty and then righty yeah yeah um, and then they kiss he said he'll give Josie one more chance to sell but he has retained the services of a professional meaning a professional arsonist Leo Leo yeah, they, who lol I bet he's not a professional arsonist I bet he just owns a shit ton of lighters yeah he's got the. you see that he's got two gas cans and then oh yeah the future scene but um, but Audrey during this and then the subsequent scene with the dancing mm-hmm. where she's just hiding behind the that pole the whole time like her roller coaster of emotion of like oh my god I'm getting this great gossip but then also like fuck dead. my dad's but he's an asshole, but I knew that. Yeah. But but now it's real and I see it. it and it's confirms. just all of that roller coaster, you see all of it in in without dialogue, mm-hmm. with it like sh- her performance in the in the last ten minutes of this episode with no dialogue is just wonderful. Yeah. Um Jerry gives a speech and is interrupted by some music. Leland oh my god, this scene. Leland cries out. Leland had shown up, and he's sort of stumbling around. Uh, also, a little costuming thing I love about Leland. On his chin, he's uh-huh. got a little, like, 
cut himself shaving. Oh, really? I like, didn't notice piece that. Piece of like tissue tissue yeah like just as such a, like of course he fucking cut himself shaving because he was probably started crying while he was <laughs> doing it or whatever like uh leland cries out and starts dancing and he's like pantomiming dancing with a partner um ben tells catherine to join him and so she like slips in and is like oh what we're all having fun dancing and then other people start to join it. I don't know if it's before or after this, but well, everyone there's a few, there's other people already kind of dancing. And so Leland is dancing with this woman, and then all of a sudden bursts into tears and like has his head in his hands. And Catherine looks at him and starts like puts her hands up by her face and is like, "No, this is like the cool dance move." And then everybody in the club in the club is this- <laughs> doing this weird like this- <laughs> head head to the air. To yeah. The- the air it's to the head so to the air wild. thing and like the icelanders are just like this is this is awesome Fucking i love this. love americans <laughs> they dance real and good it's, and he's and it's just he's weeping for the, his like Morning brutally his daughter. murdered daughter and he's just like gut-wrenching weeping and it's just like i don't know what to do yeah and it's this is primo creepy weird yeah silly macabre yeah stuff that is why this show is transcendent um ben tells jerry to get leland out of his life everyone starts dancing imitating leland's breakdown audrey watches and cries uh we cut to josie who smokes in ben's office that's the end of that paragraph that's it because this this is i think a great edit for in the previous scene where he says, I'm going to give Josie one more chance to sell uh-huh. before we burn the fucking mill down. Mm-hmm. And you find like you find out everything you need to know about that scene in the next scene because you see Leo pull out gas cans. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it's, I think, a great moment of storytelling where you're like, why, why, why waste our time with dialogue that's not necessary? Sure. And it's like she, I asked, or he never asked her again because he prefers to burn it down. Sure. Uh, Maddie creeps through uh, the Palmer's house uh, and calls Donna. She says she found a tape in a secret hiding place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ben enters his office. cassette tape. Yeah. Uh, Ben enters his office and turns on a light. Josie says no one saw her come in. Have we talked about who Josie is? Uh, Josie is the owner of the mill who inherited mm-hmm. it from uh, Catherine's uh, late brother to whom she was married. Josie was married, not Catherine. Um, Josie says no one saw her come in. Uh, she found the second book in Catherine's desk where he said it would be. Ben tells Josie that they can proceed tomorrow night. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? Proceed. I don't, Josie- rem- I don't remember that. All I remember... I don't... Yeah, this doesn't sound familiar to me. I I think that w- I don't remember that. I I I remember him going into the office where Josie was, and then that's it. Okay. Uh, I may have missed something, or this is some weird extension, or that's yeah, could be. on a different version or something, and I could be wrong. But uh, Shelley lights a cigarette at the stove, and Leo drives up in an old truck. He pulls two cans of gasoline out of his shed. Then Hank attacks him and warns him not to compete. Leo walks in his house, dirty and bloody. That's, but that's also this is where that, that's the thing I always miss because it kind of they gloss over it pretty quickly. Uh-huh. But, um, 
this means Hank was the one running in drugs from Canada. Oh. That whole drug oh. operation we thought was Leo wasn't Leo. It was Leo took over for Hank. Got it. While Hank was in jail, which is where he's... It was kind of a great line where he said, I... I told you to look after the shop, not look over, look after the shop, not set up a franchise. Like, oh, it's it's him saying like, this is my fucking business. This is my livelihood. Right. I let you watch it for a while and make a few extra bucks, mm-hmm. but you fucking decided to like do your own fucking yeah, thing. Expand. Fuck you. Yeah. Uh, Leo walks back into his house dirty and bloody. Um, Shelly asks him what's wrong. He pushes her to the ground, telling her to get him a beer, which you know he didn't have to push her in the ground. She could probably get a beer standing. Depends on where the beer is. That's a good point. (laughs) They have one of those ground coolers. Yeah. Um, She pulls the gun on him, but he doubts that she would pull the trigger. She shoots him, and the ceiling light swings back and forth as he retreats. That's kind of a cool effect. Yeah. So you see him fly out out of screen and presumably hits the overhead light because then it cuts back to her, and she's standing there with the gun still Uh up, and it's just like dark light, dark Uh light of just like this shadow sweeping over him, and then you... See the 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 light is swinging back and forth. It was kind of just a. Cool I didn't effect. realize you saw. I didn't realize you saw him after she shot him. I thought you see her shoot and he oh. goes back. Okay. So you don't necessarily see if he got hit or if he was dodging it, you know, or getting okay. out of the way, or I, you kind of don't know exactly what happens. But sure. she shoots him, shoots at him, presumably. Yeah. Uh, Cut back to the Great Northern. Cooper walks down the hallway to the sound of men singing and notices another that- great moment of frustration of him in the hallway, uh-huh. of like hearing it, just like. Ugh. Um, he notices the door to his room is open. He enters with his gun great drawn. Shot. Great shot! The silhouette of him walking in. Primo. He finds Audrey naked in his bed, crying, and she asks him not to make her leave. And that's that episode. Directed by. Leslie Link, letter created by Mark Frost and David Lynch. Mm-hmm. That's what they. Oh, credits. sure, sure. The credits. I've heard of those. Um, cool. Yeah. I. So for me, the episode started a little slow for me. I think. I. I don't think. I think it starts strong and then late. Late first act, like the, the Donna and. Maddie. Matt, no, well. Oh, uh, Donna the, and James. James primarily, but like all of that kind of stuff is a little. Whatever, but there's so much good. Like, Daddy, wake up, Daddy. <laughs> okay, she's awake now. <laughs> Did you get it? Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's. I mean, the big log lady scene. The yeah. Leo gets like every A lot like of big happenings. really. They're really really now. Like they find out all the clues from Cooper's dream come true. Like. So much Waldo. good stuff happens yeah. in this episode that's really setting up like, oh shit, we only got two more episodes before the season's out. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out. Yeah. Like, this is this is awesome. Yeah. Like, I, I, this mystery is coming to fruition. Like, so yeah. good. So good. Cool. All right. Um, well, that does it for this week. Um, Mike, anything you want to say before we go? Nope. Okay. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Foraker Creative. You can follow them at Foraker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. 
please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.